to Hebron today and to this final day of the missionary weekend. We're going to join together as we worship the Lord, as we sing our opening praise, paraphrase 19, the race that long in darkness pine have seen the glorious light. The people dwell in they who dwelt in death's surrounding night. Thank you. psalm for today, very appropriately, is the Psalm 2. When the new millennium began, we started to read through the Psalms consecutively on the Lord's Day, and we now come at the beginning of this year to the beginning again, and on this missionary weekend, coming to Psalm 2 is very appropriate, uh, particularly verse 8. But let's read it together. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the lord and against his anointed saying let us break their bands asunder 
and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now therefore, O ye kings, be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and ye perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. May the Lord be pleased to, to bless his word to every heart. We'll bow together and let's seek the Lord in prayer. Almighty God and gracious Heavenly Father, we come on this Lord's day to the house of the Lord to worship Thee. To worship God, we trust in the beauty of holiness, to worship in Him in spirit and in truth. And so we pray for grace to help in this time of need as your people assemble together for the public worship of Almighty God. Let your presence be here from the beginning. We've known that presence during the weekend thus far. We have been blessed. We have been challenged. The reports have been an encouragement. Our eyes have been opened. And Lord, you've touched our hearts and burdened us as we've thought of the work of the Great Commission again. Thank thee for the ministry of your word these nights. And Lord, as we think of today, the final day of the weekend, we look to the Lord afresh for his help, his grace, his power to come in among us and we pray that you'll stir our hearts, draw us out after the Lord, give us a fresh vision for the mission field, instill into our hearts, Lord, a burden for those that are lost in the nations of the world. We see how here prophetically in the psalm that the Savior was asked to ask of God and he would be given the heathen for an inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for his possession. And Lord, we thank you that Christ prays in glory. He came to save a multitude that no man can number. He came to bring his people to glory. We thank you for his death and his righteousness. We thank thee for an accomplished redemption a finished work, all that he came to do. And Lord, we know that in heaven he ever lives to intercede and to pray for the gathering of the people from the nations of the world. I we bless thee for every missionary that has gone to faithfully present Christ to a needy world. Thank thee for those from our own small denomination that have heard that call and obeyed it and gone to serve the living Christ. And we praise thee for the blessings and the encouragements that you've sent their way. Thank thee for those from our own 
congregation here in Balamoney that have been raised up over the years. Brother John Hanna to go to the land of Spain. Think of Fred Buick that spent all those years in Australia. And then in more recent times, her sister Noreen serving the Lord these 22 years now in the land of Africa. Bless her, we pray. Remember Armin for good. Remember Josh in Bangor, Alejandro over in Spain. And remember Jonathan just finished Bible college. Open up the way for him in a field of service according to God's choosing. And for David and Greg and DePanker who are still studying at the college as they seek to study to show themselves approved unto the Lord. May they know your grace every day in class. Fill them with the Holy Spirit and Lord, we know you've called them and there's a place for them in the future. Thank thee for others that have been helpmeets to pastors. Think of Joy and Janice and we pray that you'll bless them and their husbands. Remember David Brown and Simon Anderson who are closely connected to us, spent time serving the Lord here with us in their student days. But Lord, we know that the, the need is so great and like the Savior lamented in his day, the laborers are still few. We rejoice that God is still calling men. He's still putting his hand upon lives, bringing them into the work. We praise thee for this weekend and times past and how that the Lord has been pleased to, to use the preaching of the word and the reports given to stir the hearts of many. And we're asking thee, Lord, as you know, this weekend that that will happen again. We pray that you'll take our young people and use them for your glory. Use all the congregation. We've been reminded this weekend that missionary work is something for us all right here at home on our doorstep as well as in the foreign fields of the world. We pray that men and women will sense and feel the burden that the Lord would endeavor for us to have. Help us to be like the compassionate Savior and to lift up our eyes and look in the fields that are white already into harvest. Bless this meeting in which we're gathered now, every thing that will take place, the songs that we'll hear, the reports, the preaching of your word especially. May the Lord come down among us, dwell among us, and fill each heart with his grace and his wisdom and power. Teach us the good things of the Lord this day. And may there be a hunger and a thirst for the Lord created in our souls. Remember the needy of the church, the sick particularly. We think of Wesley, we think of Peter, we think of those that are laid aside, cannot be at the meetings because of illness. Lord, give them a double portion today. Encourage them in the Lord. Put your gracious hand of healing upon their bodies, we pray. All these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're making announcements just now. We'll go through them as quickly as possible. We first of all bid you welcome in the Savior's name to our worship service. And if you're visiting with us, there's a few visitors that have lingered on uh, from Friday and Saturday night. We're especially glad to see you. And we have visitors from Waterford, I understand, Henry, Becky, and Connor. I, I'm just not identifying where you are at the moment, but I, Tommy, thank you very much. We just stand up to see you. It's always good to have uh, the Irish with us, and may, may the Lord bless you. That's one. I take there's two. There's two others, and they've, they've maybe gone out. 
um, to the other room. Just as we think of folks that are here, the, there was a little birdie, Mrs. Munari told me that you've celebrated a, a significant birthday. Have you celebrated or still too? You've, it's passed. So congratulations. I'll not, I'll not say what age you are. We don't usually tell the age of a lady. All right, but we rejoice with you. Can I remind you of the evening service at 7 o'clock as the missionary weekend comes to a conclusion? And tonight our emphasis is on Ukraine. As you know, we have received uh, the Ukrainian delegation that have been with us now for seven months. Pastor Valentin Pavlenkov will give a report. The, the church group will sing. And Donald Fleming uh, from Faith in Action, he will bring the missionary challenge. So we're looking forward to that. All the offerings during the weekend go to the missionary work that is represented during this time. Very important week for us as a congregation. Monday to Friday this week is our week of prayer. It's always been our habit to have the minister's week of prayer then the missionary weekend and trusting that the blessings of the week of prayer and the weekend will then permeate into our week and each night therefore this week at 8 o'clock we will come together as a congregation. We, we will look at a verse. We will uh, have a short study in that verse and then we'll get down to prayer as we think of the whole year ahead. And a new prayer list for the incoming year will be compiled. Do you remember next Lord's Day, the early season of prayer at 8 o'clock, the Sunday school at 10.45, the Bible class at 11, and Phil will be studying the Christian armor. The Bible class joined us today in Sunday school for an open Sunday school. So they will be coming to this subject that was going to be the subject today, preparing for battle and knowing your enemy. And Phil Moffat, of course, is the speaker. Worship service is 12 noon, and the gospel service is 7. And at the evening service, a special dedication service of Noah Robert James Moore. We look forward to that. Can I sincerely thank those who helped with the function that was connected with our Christian school yesterday. They had a New Year's breakfast and the funds raised were £2,030. I want to thank you for that, all who took part, all who helped, contributed in any way. It's been very much appreciated and I think that that figure will go up a little bit more. There might be other contributions to come in. Can I thank the ladies for supplying the suppers during the missionary weekend? I'm sure you'll agree they did an excellent job on Friday night and last night. The good news for you is nothing more is needed for tonight. There is literature available on the table as you leave. The Vision magazine, Let the Bible Speak Quarterly, The Current, which is a North American magazine. And then there's cards from Let the Bible Speak just to remind you to pray for the radio ministry of our church. There's also motto texts. They're available. We preached our motto text last Lord's Day morning. And there's a wee card just to remind you what that text is so that you can have it, use it as a bookmarker, keep it in your Bible, pray over it every day that the Lord will enable us to be the kind of Christian that 1 Corinthians 15 and 50 it speaks about. Also, there are missionary prayer cards for the Reverend Ray Kerskadden, who has been with us over the missionary weekend, the outgoing missionary to Uganda, and they are on the little tables as you leave, left and right there, before you go through the doors. 
want to congratulate Josh and Leah on the birth of Elias Andrew. We, we did that on Thursday night, but it's good now when the wider congregation is here uh, just to say that. We're very glad to, to have different ones taking part over the weekend. The next gentleman you know, sometimes he's been here, he has sang, and I said, Lucci, would you, would you just prepare a little piece and send it to us for the missionary weekend that is missionary-minded? And uh, he did that very kindly. So we should be able to hear him sing uh, this particular challenge to us. I trust the Lord will make it a blessing to you. Yeah. 
say here am I and make ourselves available and we thank Lucci in his absence from the church here for sending that to us we also have some greetings from Romania, Romania is a very special place for us as a church and we have many friends there and so some pastors would just like to, to thank you for all the encouragement you've been and again hopefully this will just play for us Just as the author to the epistle to the Hebrews says, time would fail me to tell of all the blessings that we receive through our dear brothers and sisters from uh, the Hebron uh, Free Presbyterian Church in Northern Ireland during the years. The clear and powerful presentation of the gospel by Reverend David Park in the midst of our congregation, the countless mission trips to the Roma colonies, uh, the material and financial support uh, that we received so that um, we could be able to support uh, the Ukrainian refugees are but a few uh, of them. Uh, we want to thank you so much and uh, all these blessings are just uh, as the Apostle Paul uh, told, told the Philippians an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God, our God, shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Be richly blessed, dear brothers and sisters. Part of the joy Christ has given us is our support for each other as Christians. I just want to take this opportunity to thank all of you, Ulster Family in Christ, for praying, giving, taking precious time out of your busy schedule to help, encourage, and inspire us to grow in the work of God. Your help was needed and much appreciated. Thank you for demonstrating a faithfulness that comes from a deep love for Christ. You are always a blessing to us as a family, a blessing to our church and to our different communities you were involved in here in Romania. Many people miss their opportunity to be used by God. Thank you for serving with a willing heart and joyful spirit. Honestly, spending special times with friends like you are some of the best things in life. May the Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. The Lord recompense thy work, and the full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. 
Dear brothers and sisters from Hebron Church and also from the Mission Board, thank you so much for partnering with us in ministry and action in 2022. It was a challenging year because of the war and also because of the financial crisis. It was not easy to uh, get together the resources and the people that we needed for the ministry and for the mission, uh, both in Romania and Ukraine. Uh, we thank you so much and we deeply appreciate your uh, resources sent in Romania, your prayers, your encouragements, your messages, uh, even teams that came to, to Romania from Northern Ireland. Uh, to help us to, to ministry the, the poor and also to ministry the refugees. Uh, going to Ukraine more than 10 times this year was a great success. And uh, uh, that helped a lot the Ukrainian churches uh, to show the God's love to all those who fled from the war. Thank you. May God bless you and may God keep you. Uh, in doing this good job in the next year, 2023. God bless you. Over the ministry, I understood that the work of the Lord, um, it's done by special people. One of them is Pastor Park, our brother and friend. And we are so blessed to have you as a friend, and also as a partner in uh, Lord's ministry. We enjoyed to serve together last summer, sharing the gospel uh, at the VBS in our uh, city, and also helping uh, at the Roma community. Poor people uh, received lots of gifts and also special message through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Over the years uh, of partnership and friendship that we had, we found in you, Pastor Park, uh, a kind-hearted one and also a man of God with an open heart for Romania, uh, for our places where we serve and also for our dear ones here in the community, uh, we are working for the Lord. Uh, I'm so thankful for you and I just pray, may God bless you. Uh, we are um, so thankful for having you as our brother in Christ. And also we are grateful for your open heart for our dearly ones here in Romania. We treasure you and uh, we will pray for you. Dear brothers and sisters, greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ from Romania. In 2022, in February, almost a year ago, I had the privilege of meeting three dear brothers, Pastor David, Brother Jonathan and Brother Aaron, as they were visiting this part of Romania and especially the county of Buzău. As we are located in Câmpina, in Prahova, the neighbor county of Buzău, we understand God's calling to serve our neighbors and to be involved in that area as the uh, the area is very poor spiritually but also financially and we are very thankful and encouraged by your by your involvement and your understanding to be witnesses of Jesus to the ends of the earth so i believe this is the reason you came to romania 
We are very encouraged by uh, everything that you have done and we want to thank you, I want to thank you as well for all the support that you have raised and that you sent in 2022. As we step in 2023, in this new year, I wish God's blessing upon your lives and upon your families, your church and your ministry, your mission, missionary plans as well. May the Lord bless you. I'm honored to be able to greet you even from a distance. And in the end, I would like to leave with you the words of Jesus as an encouragement, what he said in Matthew 25, verse 40. God bless you all. sing another hymn now in the harvest fields now ripened <coughs> there's a work for all to do hark the voice of God is calling to the harvest calling you over the missionary weekend uh, we've been lifting the offering like we used to physically and uh, we're going to do that just now so keep your seats for the opening part of the hymn thank you <laughs> Thank you. 
just before we come to the, the preaching of the word, and we are delighted to have the Reverend Reggie Kimbrough from the United States, we're going to have the Hebrew choir sing. So we'll ask the choir to come and bring their messages and song. Thank you. Just as you're coming up, I'll take this moment to welcome the preacher. Brother, we're delighted to have you. And uh, we enjoyed you at the Minister's Week of Prayer. And these men that have come over from the States are visiting uh, some of our congregations. And I trust that as they come to be a blessing to us, that we in turn will be a blessing and an encouragement to them. Pray for him as he brings the message that the Lord has given to him. Thank you. Oh, and find them. 
that sent me while it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. Let me ask you to turn with me this morning, or I guess it's afternoon. It's unusual for me to be in a morning, or a, it's not a morning service, it starts at noon. My wife checked with me three times last night on the phone, you're sure it's 12, you're going to show up late, but uh, it's good to be with you, and I uh, bring you greetings not only from our congregation in Winston-Salem, but from all of our churches in North America. It's been a privilege to be uh, one of the men sent over this year to your week of prayer and enjoy fellowship, to be under the word, uh, to just continue and renew the connections uh, among our ministers and our churches. I visited here when the Congress was here in 07 or whatever year that was, but it wasn't for a service. I think you cared for us from America with a meal and some refreshment while we were journeying along, but... I have, or at least feel, a special connection with this congregation because you gave us your minister 43 years ago, perhaps, was it, in sending Dr. Alan Cairns to North America, and that was a tremendous impact in my own life personally. It would be very hard to overstate the impact that it had in my own life and my ministry, so... We're grateful to you for your selfless giving of yourselves, and that's certainly been in testimony this missionary weekend beyond what I just mentioned. I've been very encouraged and challenged and convicted uh, as I've spoken with your minister. I've seen uh, these slides and these reports from the various ministries that you are supporting and helping. We thank God for that and thank God for you. So it's a privilege to be with you. I want to read a portion, actually two portions of Scripture this morning, Acts 19. And I want to begin reading in verse 8 and just read a few verses here and then turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 1 for our reading and for what we'll consider together. But Acts 19 first in verse 8, speaking of the Apostle Paul and his ministry in the city of Ephesus. And he went into the synagogue... And spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when diverse were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus both Jews and Greeks. And then over to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And reading there from verse 15, This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Anesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me, 
and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord granted to him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. Well, amen. Well, in reading, we trust the Lord to add his own blessing to the public reading of his word. And I would ask you just to join together with me with the word open before us. And let's bow our heads and our hearts together in a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, as we come into Your presence, Lord, we mindfully enter Your presence. We are in Your presence always. All things are naked and open before the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. But Lord, we consciously come and we lift the name of Jesus. We have no other means, we have no other merit, no other way to come and address You. But we pray that you will grant us grace in the moments that we share. Lord, let us not take these moments for granted. And we pray that you will use even already the reading of your word, the testimonies we've heard. But Lord, now as we pause to consider something more of this that we've read, we pray for preacher and listener alike that you will give us the help of your spirit. And we pray it in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. I've been speaking in several of the churches this week in the prayer meetings and last Lord's Day as well. And I've been speaking in most of those places on the theme of truth has fallen in the street. I had that phrase from the prophet Isaiah echoing in my mind and heart for many months over the last year or so. It's evident in every realm of life, whether it is political corruption or the moral decay that surrounds us all the time. There's an illustration that I've given in opening that particular message. I'll just share it with you here briefly as we carry on today. But I read a news story about two weeks or so before I left to come here to Northern Ireland. It was about a high school girl, a teenage girl, and she had been expelled from her high school. And the offense, the crime that she had committed to get her expelled was this. They were allowing young man to make use of the ladies' restrooms. Beyond that, to make use of the ladies' showers and the locker rooms. And this girl... was speaking to a friend of hers before class one day in a private conversation. She just mentioned to a friend that she was not comfortable with this boy being in their showers. A teacher overheard their conversation. The girl was taken to the principal's office. She was expelled and charged with hate speech. So it's okay for the boy to go into the girl's showers. That's no problem. But for a girl to mention she's uncomfortable with that, she must be expelled. That's upside down. And our world is upside down. And I don't speak any mystery to you because I know in your nation as well these corruptions... These perversions are prevalent and making themselves more and more prevalent every day. And it's caused me to come to the 
conviction, I suppose, or the, the thought process anyway, that our world is changing so much and so rapidly that it is becoming more and more like the world of the first century. The Apostle went into a pagan Greco-Roman world where such perversion and immorality prevailed. And you think of the political situation of their day and the politicians and emperors and so forth of their day. The world was upside down then too. When they complained about the apostles and the believers and described them as people that turned the world upside down, they were really people that were preaching truth and those that heard and believed the truth were turned right side up again. But they looked upside down to the ungodly. And so our world in many ways is becoming more and more like the world of that first century, the world of those first missionary endeavors. But you know, as I think of that, for all the parallels in our times to the wickedness of that century and to the wickedness of that day, there are in fact some good parallels to the first century. When you think of the Roman Empire, you think of the providence of God at what had transpired in preparing the ground, figuratively and quite literally in some cases, for the spreading of the gospel. Think of the roads, the Roman roads that had been built, some of which are still present and visible and usable today. The Greek language that had permeated the world for trade and commerce, a common tongue. English is all over the world. Many nations require those that would enter into business and international commerce to learn English. I've had to learn a little more English since I've been over here. Was it Churchill that said uh, our nations are divided by a common language? Some of the words and some of the little turns of phrase can be a little difficult. I could take you to some places in North Carolina where you wouldn't understand the English that's spoken. But I say the similarities. If you think of the roads, you think of the language, you think of the ships. I remember the first time as a young person when I was reading about Paul's perilous journey to Rome in that boat and then talked about letting another boat down off the side of that boat. I think, what was the size of this vessel? And you think of all that interaction, you think of the vibrant trade. You can follow Aquila and Priscilla through the New Testament and the little places where they show up. City after city after city, they traveled and they they made use of their craft and their business. I was impressed in your minister's message on Friday night and even the Bible reading there from James. What is your life? But the, the little phrase there, it said... You know, you're, you're making your plans. You, you've got it all planned. I'm going to go to this city and then that city and I'm going to stay there a year and I'm going to trade and sell and get gain. There was a freedom of movement. There was an interaction that was true in those days that is in many ways common to our times. You think of the change even in just the last century. I remember my grandmother speaking about her life. She'd gone from going to the market to get their groceries once a week or so in a horse and buggy. 
And then she had sat and watched men walk on the moon. It's a pretty big transition for one lifetime. But look at our culture. The ease of travel that belongs to us. The means of communication. The internet. I was watching a documentary several years ago now, and it was just counting down the most significant inventions in the history of the world. And I was waiting for number one, which has already always been the Gutenberg Press. And they came to number two, and they said, the Gutenberg Press. And it got my attention. Well, what's number one? And then they held up the smartphone. We're connected to the world with something that's in the palm of our hands. I can hit a button from these many, many, many hundreds of miles and see and speak to my wife. And think of the benefits that that gives us, the opportunities that that affords us in the spreading of the gospel and even in the place of missions. Many of you will be familiar with the ministry of Sermon Audio. Dear brother Stephen Lee in our church there in Greenville. We were just at his conference last month in December and he kind of had a formal opening for new office space and a place where they're installing what he's called the vault to protect the sermons and to allow access if the days ever come where sermons or the whole website would be canceled. And he has a collection of large screens on one wall. And he has it set up that it just intermittently will highlight a spot on the map, a map of the world, where someone is listening to a sermon. And it'll show you the place, it'll show you the sermon that the person is listening to. And then it'll fade, and then on the other side of the world, another place will light up. And it's just staggering to stand there for a moment because it's just displaying a fraction of what's going on on the website at the time. But to think of the impact and the capability to spread the gospel all over the world, even just through that means that we have today. And so I say for, for good and for ill, as it were, the similarities to the New Testament as these early missionaries went forth into the far reaches of their world to spread the gospel, those similarities belong to us. I want to break a few of the rules of homiletics today because the thing I want to share with you here is actually something the Lord laid on my heart in the midst of preparing for the message that I spoke to the men at the minister's week of prayer. I didn't share with them what I want to leave with you today, but I do want to share with you a couple of things that I shared with them along the way. I spoke to them on a theme, a message I call the evolution of Ephesus. Because if you look through the New Testament, if you, if you pay attention to the little details, not only in Acts, but scattered through the epistles and even then to the book of Revelation... We're familiar with the church at Jerusalem, the, the revival of the day of Pentecost, the spreading of the gospel from Judea to Samaria, 
And we even look at the church at Antioch, that first real missionary church that sent out Barnabas and Saul on their first missionary journey. Dr. Cairns was very burdened to put that church before us in those early years in Greenville in the 1980s. His burden for planting free churches in North America. And that church in Antioch, such an example of that missionary activity. And then, of course, the book of Acts leaves us with Paul in Rome. His burden to get to the capital of the empire, that place in the far reaches of the world. He actually went beyond. He traveled to Spain. But as I read through the book of Acts and was studying to teach our students in the seminary some years ago, I was really impressed with the church at Ephesus. I mean, you can connect the dots from Jerusalem to Antioch to Rome. But along the way, Ephesus was a, a big dot of what God did in the successful missionary labors of Paul there in Ephesus. It was remarkable. We have that phrase that we read in the Corinthian correspondence where Paul talked about a great door and effectual was opened unto him. He was in Ephesus when he wrote that. When Paul left Ephesus, he was burdened to leave Timothy. And you read in Timothy, or the first epistle to Timothy, I besought thee to abide still in Ephesus. Timothy was Paul's most trusted companion and co-laborer. He wanted that work in Ephesus to be guarded and, and kept. And what we read in Acts there, that from that place all Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus. You can even go to the next generation. It's in the 50s that Paul founds the church in Ephesus. It's in the early 60s, the text we read in Timothy that we'll come to in a moment. But where do we find the last remaining apostle in the last days of his earthly life, the apostle John? He's in Ephesus. His exile is in the Isle of Patmos, just off the coast of Ephesus. And so here is a place where we see missionary activity brought to the fore. I was really shocked as I was reading and studying through Acts because we said Paul established a church there in his third missionary journey. On his second missionary journey, as they're pondering where to go, it said they were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Now that didn't settle with me well as an Arminian so many, many years ago. How can that be? But God had a time for Asia. It wasn't going to be long. It just wasn't the time right then. But Paul came to Ephesus and in the success of the ministry there, all Asia heard the word. And if you look at what happened in that missionary outpost, what was his activity? Well, obviously it was evangelism. He saw the salvation of souls. And if you read through the epistles and you see that point, from that point on later in Paul's ministry, all the names of the people that are his companions, so many of them from Asia... And the success of the spreading of the gospel through the Apostle Paul. 
But can I share with you that that evangelistic effort was never shallow. When I was a teenager and wrestling with the call of the Lord to ministry, I had become burdened that the fundamentalist churches in America were shallow. And I said, you know, fundamentalism is shallow. All they do is preach the gospel. They don't teach the word. So I started getting study Bibles and buying commentaries. And I'm going to teach my people the word. And I came under the preaching of Dr. Alan Cairns. Careful, Christ-centered, theologically rich preaching. And I became mightily convinced the gospel isn't shallow. I wasn't reacting to a shallow gospel. I was reacting to the shallow methods of evangelism that were devoid of a lot of gospel truth. The person and work of Jesus is what we have to proclaim. I love to bring two phrases of the Apostle Paul together. He warns believers of departing from the simplicity that is in Christ. But then he also speaks of the unsearchable riches of Christ. Our gospel is rich. And if you see again what Paul labors in Ephesus that we read there in Acts, not only that fervent evangelism, but his teaching of them. It said there that he for the space of two years lectured in the school of one Tyrannus. Telling the men I have to smile and then be a little convicted thinking about that because the commentators wrestle. Why was this, this uh, teacher there in Ephesus in his little college or trade school or whatever it was that he had that he loaned them for the afternoon hours? Why did these students call him Tyrannus? Was he a tyrannical teacher? Well, we don't know. But what was Paul talking about every afternoon in Ephesus? What was Paul dealing with when he preached to the people on the Lord's day? Well, it's interesting when you consider it's immediately after Paul leaves his ministry, those three years there in Ephesus, that he writes the book of Romans. And again, we certainly understand our doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture. The Holy Spirit carefully oversaw what is penned there in our book of Romans and all the depth of that gospel truth. But can we not understand that it is very likely that a lot of the content of what we read in Romans is what Paul was teaching and preaching in Ephesus? And the depth of that teaching also impacted the lives of the people. If you look at the success of that missionary endeavor in Ephesus, this truth... It wasn't just an intellectual, theologically oriented thing. It was life-changing grace. If we had read further in Acts 19, you would see a record of the people bringing their books, their magic books, their books of superstition and incantations, and they brought them together and burned them, and the sum of them was 50,000 pieces of silver. 
If you work through some of the math and the commentaries and trying to put that together in modern money, we can't be entirely certain, but if the piece of silver would have represented perhaps a day's wage, 50,000 of those in value would have gotten into the millions. The testimony that the people that were converted in that mission field had was one of radically changed lives. You know, it's not merely in a mission outpost, but every place the gospel is preached. That is the result of a heart that's touched by grace. It's one of personal holiness. The Ephesian believers were not like they had previously been. The Ephesian believers were not like those among whom they continued to live. They were known visibly, tangibly different. The riot that started in Ephesus that caused Paul to have to leave after those three years was stirred up by tradesmen that were silversmiths who were starting to make less and less money because fewer and fewer people were buying idols. I wonder how long it's been since we could say we've impacted our cities that way. church seems to look more and more like the world and less and less like a people that are that distinct I was sharing an illustration with the men and I'm hesitant to enter into it now for the sake of time but I'll just hold it out to you briefly I like to give an illustration It works through some pretty deep theology. But I think in many ways it's simple enough for us to wrestle with. We see Christians at times that seem wound up a little bit too tight. They're a little bit too strict. There's something just not quite right. There's a pharisaical spirit. There's a self-righteous version of being different than the world. And that can bleed into a self-righteous version of being different than other Christians. And, and we have seen that. But the way out of that pharisaical presentation of Christianity, because if we look at it, I illustrate it like this, we think of a line. And if you think in that line, the gospel is the center point. And this legal pharisaical spirit would be, say, the right side of the line. And then we say there's an antinomian spirit, there's a worldliness, and that's the left side of the line. And whenever we become persuaded that either some version of the church, some branch of the church, or in our own personal lives, that we're off-center on one way or the other, the fleshly response to that is, well, if we're too pharisaical, we're too legalistic, we're focused on external so much, we need to get to the center, we need to be balanced Christians. So what does the flesh do? Start across the line. But the way out of legalism to the gospel is never in the direction of antinomianism. But that's the way the flesh will take us. 
And the way out of antinomianism, if we're ever persuaded the church is too loose or we're living too loose. I saw that in my early ministry in America, the, the seminarism we used to call it. Marriage problems, we need marriage seminars. Trouble rearing our children, child rearing seminars. And we give our lists and we give out our books and there can be a lot of good mingled in with that. But then all of a sudden, if your notebook has a little different point here than my notebook does, then what do I do with you? The way out of antinomianism to the gospel is never in the direction of legalism. And when we think of it in that way, we come to this absurd mindset. How much worldliness and how much self-righteousness do I need to mix together in order to be a balanced Christian? And the answer is zero. It isn't a line. It's a triangle. The gospel isn't on the same plane as legalism or antinomianism. Those are really the same theology with different clothes. You have a long list of rules here and a short list of rules here. But it's still a man-centered, works-oriented mindset. The gospel is up here. It delivers us from legalism. It delivers us from antinomianism. And you see, we get substitute products. When we feel legalistic and pharisaical, we want to get more worldly to be balanced. When we feel worldly and carnal, we want to get a little bit more rule-oriented and legalistic in order to be balanced. It's not self-righteousness and it's not worldliness that we need. It's holiness and it's humility. And those two things cannot coexist in the flesh. You produce a false version of holiness. It's self-righteousness. And you present a false version of humility. And it's worldliness. True holiness and true humility cannot coexist in the flesh. We need the Spirit and the power of the Gospel to have them. And that's the Gospel that Paul took everywhere he went. But as I said, I've been breaking some rules of homiletics today. That's a long introduction and a little piece of another sermon. But I've turned you to 2 Timothy today. Because when I was preparing my message for the men and the little windows we have in the New Testament to the, the evolution of that church in Ephesus over those decades, I mean, we get a little piece of, we, we get a little window into the first taking of the gospel to that city, and we get a window even into the second generation of the churches in Asia and the seven letters to the churches. And of course, Ephesus is the first of those. And as I prepared that message for the men, of course, it brought me to this portion in 2 Timothy because we read again in verse 15, This thou knowest that all they which are in Asia, Ephesus, be turned away from me. And how do we wrestle with that? But as I was reading and working through this portion, I was impressed because of your missionary emphasis this weekend. If you read Paul's comments in verse 16, the Lord give mercy unto the house of Anesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me, and we see the remainder of his comments. I want to draw your attention today to this man, Anesiphorus. 
Anessa Forrest, if you will, I suggest to you today, was a man we find ministering to the missionary. Here's a man from Ephesus. Here's a man from this church, this mission outpost that God had so greatly blessed and impacted so many other places. We find him now in Rome. The one to whom Paul had come to minister... He now comes to minister to Paul. And what little pieces of this man's life and testimony do we see? There are three things that I want to put before you today with regard to Onesiphorus ministering to the missionary. The first that I would suggest to you is he had a bold testimony. Bold testimony. When I was speaking to the men, we had to wrestle with that opening phrase in verse 15. All they which are in Asia be turned away from me. We can read that and we can think, well, Ephesus had gone into compromise. The church there had gone into apostasy. But yet when we piece the rest of it together from the New Testament, that's obviously not what had happened. When Paul's imprisoned in Rome and writing this to Timothy... It's about eight years from the time that he had left Ephesus. When we read Revelation chapters 2 and 3, the Apostle John in his exile on the Isle of Patmos, it's in the mid-90s. It's 40 years after the church at Ephesus has been founded. And so if we see 40 years later that in the letter written to that church, they're still orthodox. They're praised for their orthodoxy and for their stand for truth. It's obvious that it's not apostasy Paul's talking about when he says here, all they which are in Asia be turned away from me. So what's going on? What's the problem? Well, commentators are agreed, it seems at least to be mostly agreed, that what is going on here is that Paul had need of some from Ephesus to come and bear testimony for him in his trial. You remember one of the things that Paul will say later in 2 Timothy, at my first answer, no man stood with me. If you read the history in Acts where Paul was arrested in Jerusalem by the mob that was stirred up, And that arrest, that false accusation that ultimately led to that perilous journey and then his imprisonment in Rome, it said it was Jews from Asia that had stirred up the mob in Jerusalem. And so Paul had need of those from Asia. It wouldn't have done for, say, a Timothy to come. It wouldn't have done for some of the other apostles or other laborers with Paul to have come. He had need of like the regular person from Asia. Somebody that had been present in the three years Paul spent in Ephesus to say, look, this is what the man did while he was here. It's interesting if you read in Acts, this is something that absolutely blew me away reading Acts years ago. When the mob has come into the theater there in Ephesus and they're gathering others in, Paul wanted to go in and address the the crowd. And the believers are saying, Paul, you can't go in there. And it said even some of the leaders, the rulers of Asia, 
the politicians at Ephesus. It was the political center for Rome in Asia itself, which is not what we call Asia, but there in western Turkey. And it said of these Asiarchs, these Gentile pagan rulers, they were beseeching Paul not to enter into the theater. And there's a little phrase between two commas of these men which were his friends. You think of the testimony and the way he had handled himself, how honorable he had been in the midst of their city for those three years. He wasn't a troublemaker. He wasn't trying to stir up trouble. It was some disappointed idol makers that stirred up the trouble and promoted lies about Paul and Ephesus, just as they promoted lies about Paul in Jerusalem. And Paul needed witnesses from Ephesus to come. And none came. And if you piece through the pieces of that, and you try and imagine what those believers are going through, I don't know. If I travel to Rome and I appear there before Caesar to defend Paul, we see how the news is spun, the lies prevail. What if it's no good? And then I've identified with this man that will be convicted. What will it mean for me? And so they don't go. We're not sure why Onesiphorus was unable to give testimony. Perhaps he could not. He was not a witness of whatever things Paul needed. We don't know that, but we know he went. And Paul says here, when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently, and he found me. One of the renowned New Testament commentators, William Hendrickson, speaks about how there's an emphasis in the phrase here in the original language that when he says, he searched for me diligently and he found me, there's like exclamation marks there. And the point being that Paul finds it remarkable that he found him, most notably because Onesiphorus probably had trouble even when he got to Rome and was interacting with the Christians. Tell me about Paul. Where is he? How can I find him? Silence. Who is this man? Is he a spy? Is he coming to find out who Paul's friends are so they can be arrested too? If I talk to this man... I mean, who knows? Maybe they'll come after me. Maybe I'll lose my job. What, what are then of my family? And those are realities that the, the believers in Ephesus and the believers in Rome were struggling with. We love Paul. We're glad he preached to us. We love the Lord. But what's it going to mean for us to identify with this prisoner? Paul even comes to name a couple of men perhaps he had counted on, Phygelus and Hermogenes, that are no-shows. And then he says, the Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus. 
Onesiphorus was a man who had a bold testimony. The same dangers and fears that were present in the lives of these others were very real for Onesiphorus. But he put those aside. He left those with the Lord. He boldly identified, not merely with the Lord, but even with the Lord's servant, when it might not have been convenient. And so when you look at this man ministering to the missionary, the first thing I say is he was a man of bold testimony. May that be true of us. But think with me secondly. I would suggest to you also that he was a man of extraordinary service. If you read there again, the Lord grabbed mercy into the house of Anesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me, And was not ashamed of my chain. You think of the service that Onesiphorus is rendering. Even without the dangers that we've just suggested. Even without those fears. What had he taken upon himself to travel to Rome? Now we mentioned something of the ease of travel on the Romans road. Roads. I guess we use the Romans road for other things. But... Ease of travel now. I will, Lord willing, quite easily cross the ocean tomorrow. But yet, it's not overly easy. I got to get up really early tomorrow. I got to carry some suitcases. I don't know why I booked through Heathrow in London, but I got to walk about two miles there carrying all this gear. I'll get a little sweaty and tired from that, but. I'll be a continent away. So even with the ease of travel, it was a big thing for him to do. I say apart from the dangers. And Paul said he often refreshed me. Again, the commentator's surmise of the things that this would have involved in his coming to to deal with him, to, to provide for him food perhaps and drink. Some suggest even literature. Remember, he writes later in this book to Timothy to bring the books, but especially the parchments. Thinking of the scriptures there and the collecting of those. And Esophorus is doubtless going to bring news from the churches. You think of Paul's heart for those people. Even here, he, he prays that the Lord would not count it against these others that haven't appeared for him. And just the very simple fact of his presence. I say, here's a man that went to extraordinary lengths. He provided extraordinary service. Ministering to the missionary. I was standing in the back of the Bible class just before this service. Heeding my wife's admonition to not be late. And I just watched the slides your minister showed four times last year to Romania. And think of the laboring and even the very practical things of food and clothing provided for those needy believers. There is extraordinary service that you have been enabled to render to those in a distant land. 
And it is a worthy thing for as our Lord tells us that even that cup of water given in his name will not be forgotten. And you've had emphasis this missionary weekend with regard perhaps to becoming a missionary yourself. May God again send such calls and give eager and ready hearts to hear and heed such calls. But whether it be for a life of ministry or whether it be for a season of ministry, a missionary trip and endeavor to to go a little out of our comfort zone, to maybe spend a little bit of our treasure to go and help and encourage those that are in need. Here's a giant of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. But he's also a man that had tangible needs. And Anesiphorus is mindful of that. And I say he goes to extraordinary service to leave his home, his family, his job, and travel and minister to Paul. What an example and challenge for us. Nesiphorus may not have been in a position, as I said, to provide testimony. May have not been in a position to help in the release of the apostle from this accusation. But he did what he could. And he reached out with extraordinary service. But I want to suggest to you quickly and finally a third part of Onesiphorus ministering to the missionary. And here's what we see is just ordinary service. When he speaks of this man to Timothy, he says, When he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord granted to him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And then he says, And in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. Anesiphorus didn't just take it upon himself in this crisis in the life of the Apostle Paul to say, I need to do something for the Lord. I need to reach out to Paul and help him. He's in a, he's in a bad way. There's a great need. Others aren't stepping to the plate, but God's touched me to go do that extraordinary thing. But when he writes to Timothy... He says, yes, this man that's just come and done these extraordinary things for me, you know how he did those ordinary things in Ephesus. Usually those who venture boldly into extraordinary service when it costs something are those that have rendered ordinary service when it's cost nothing or little. And you may be here, I don't know the condition of your heart, I don't know your age, your occupation, your circumstances, any of those things. And it's true that there will be many here that could not step up and fill the role of a missionary to train and go forth to another land. But yet, what ordinary things can you do here? in a missions-minded church to further the work, 
to help those that can go to help the missionaries. To help those that can go forth as missionaries themselves. One of the churches I was in this last week, the minister was sharing with me afterward. I met several people. I've met a lot of people this week. If I've met you and I forget your name later, please forgive me. It's not my forte. <laughs> um, I introduced one or commented on one of the men the week of prayer and called him by the wrong name. I told a slight little joke about uh, him being a kind man to bring me a drink of water in the pulpit. And I said, you know, I know whatever you men say about him, he's a good guy. And they all laughed, and I thought they're laughing too hard. That wasn't as good a joke as that, and I had called him the wrong name. So he corrected me. But the minister spoke to me of one of the men, and he said, yes, his man's recently retired. But he said with the, the more time that he has now, he wants to be of help in any way he can be at the church, and he's determined if the church doors are open, he wants to be the one that's unlocked them, and he wants to be the one that locks them again when everybody's gone. Well, that may seem a small thing. It's not the extraordinary service of taking risk and journeying to Rome and visiting a condemned prisoner and identifying with him and putting myself at risk in that way. Of traveling and having, as Paul mentioned, I always marvel at that phrase as he just highlights all the dangers, perils of the city and perils of the wilderness. They're very different. But they're very real. Well, Anisiphorus did an extraordinary thing. But beforehand, he did the ordinary things. And it may not be that you can do that extraordinary thing and go that extraordinary place. But you can be as Anisiphorus, how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. He's a man that had a bold testimony in a day when it could cost something to identify with Jesus. He's a man who pursued extraordinary service when others weren't willing to do so. But he was a man also that when things were good was eager to provide just the ordinary service for the Lord as well. One of these little names put before us in the inspired scriptures. But just a phrase or two about his life. But what a challenge for us. Onesiphorus ministering to the missionary. I pray the Lord will bless his word to our hearts. I'll ask your brother to come and close our meeting. Thank the Lord's servant for ministering and as I preached the word I was thinking about that question what, Lord what would I have me to do and there's so much that you can do thought of the analogy of the body of Christ and there's different members and every member has its function just the Lord will bless his word and continue to challenge us by it we're going to sing in closing 669 hark is the shepherd's voice I hear out in the desert, dark and drear, calling the lambs who've gone astray far from the shepherd's fold away. We'll just sing that opening verse in the chorus 
as we finish the meeting. Father, you've been speaking to us this weekend, and we give thanks for that. Thank you for your word today and those things that you brought to our attention. Help us to act upon them, live by them. We pray that you'll continue to speak as the voice of the preacher is silent. And Lord, may every member of Christ's body find that particular avenue of service to render to him, even in the ordinary things of life. And so we pray that you'll take us from this meeting with a determination in our heart to, to serve the Lord and to do what we can to promote the gospel. Maybe just a, a helper to the missionary. Lord, search out our hearts and make your word a blessing. Dismiss us now in your love and fear for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. Amen.